You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. This week, we begin with a segment from Catholic Chicago. Cardinal Blaise Supich joined our hosts, Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi, to discuss the challenging year that just came to a close. Here's a highlight of that conversation. Father Greg, welcome. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? Very fine, very fine. Had a wonderful Christmas at a distance with our little grandchildren. So, our, How is it different, Mark? How is your Christmas Well, different? our little Nora, who's one of, a twin, is three years old, and she had to put her mask on because her little cousin, who's a month old, was coming. And we were distancing around the house, and she just put her hands up, said, Papa Treats. I just wish this COVID bug was over. I need kisses and hugs. Wow. And but I didn't your, I didn't think your son also say that you are the uh, patriarch of the family now? Oh, my God. That was a scary one. Yeah. I'm, it's 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 an eye-opener that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm the oldest <laughs> in the crowd. Nora, in I the, think your little, little granddaughter, Nora, summarized it best. She did for all of us, I think. We yeah, all felt the same COVID-19, way. But uh, we are so honored to have with us as our first guest this morning, Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, Shepherd the Pastor. Cardinal Blaise, welcome to the program this morning. How are you? Yes, welcome. Thank you, Father Greg, and good to hear you, Mark. Uh, Thank that's you. a cute story uh, 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 about uh, your granddaughter, especially, I think, you know, uh, it's so fitting for Christmas because uh, the, the truth of reality uh, is represented to us in the in the voice and and the sight of a child. So I think that's a, per, a perfect story for Christmas. Oh, thank you. In fact, along those lines, before we get into uh, exactly with COVID nineteen, Cardinal Blaze is uh, you've had a wonderful message the last few weeks, Advent leading up to Christmas. Your Christmas message uh, for the Archdiocese of Chicago for the people of God is uh, at this time with COVID nineteen still raging. What is your message of hope to the people as a Christmas people with a Christ child? Well, I think what uh, what uh, the birth of Christ means for us is that uh, uh, God has decided to come into uh, those aspects of our lives in which we uh, are most vulnerable, and uh, you have the you have a vulnerable family that. Uh, Mary and Joseph, who uh, where there's no room in the end, uh, you have the threat of Herod uh, over them, uh, which we uh, mark uh, with the Feast of the Holy Innocents during Christmas and New Year's, uh, and of course uh, Jesus is in infancy. So uh, uh, you know, in the vulnerability that we suffer now, uh, the sense in which we're pushed to the edge, uh, God tells us that's exactly where God comes into our lives. And uh, that should be a consolation to us, but also should spur us on to go to the margins of society, people who are who are living on the edge, and be supportive of them, because that's where we're going to find God. What's interesting, because 
I look at the, the stable, I look at Mary, I look at Joseph, I look at Jesus, I look at Pope Francis saying, now this year let's focus on St. Joseph, and he's always been, as an adoptive father of four, I always think, well, he was the real deal. I mean, he, he raised Jesus. I mean, I raised our kids with my wife. I mean, they're, even though they would be deemed adoptive. Can you talk a little bit about St. Joseph and how he fits into this coming year for us? Well, yes, I think Joseph uh, is uh, an individual who uh, is in the shadows off to the side and yet has an enormous influence uh, in, the, uh, in the life of salvation history. Um, and he really is a model for all parents because, uh, uh, as uh, Pope Francis noted in one of his talks, uh, there's something interesting about Joseph that uh, not just in his waking moments, but it also in, when he's asleep. Uh, he, he is preoccupied with uh, uh, the good uh, and the needs of, of his family. He, it, uh, it's in his dreams. Uh, he, he, uh, he's a man who's filled with dreams about his family and, and the dangers and the preoccupations that are there. So I think that uh, that is a, a, an opportunity for us to reflect on the great contribution of parents not only in their waking hours, but in their sleeping hours. Uh, they, they are concerned about the good of, uh, of their children and their family. So along those lines, what I find fascinating is that nowhere in Scripture, there's no words attributed from Joseph. He doesn't say, in terms of verbally, there's no spoken word. It's like any father and husband. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to add anything more to that one. And, now, in light of that, that beautiful message, Cardinal Blaze, is uh, for most people that I know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day was totally different. Smaller numbers, Zooming. So what would be your response when you hear people like that? Many of them were very down, depressed, uh, some angry I was talking to, saying it's been so different because of COVID-19. What message did you give those people in light of what's going on? Well, I think that... Um uh, my experience, however, is that, uh, and I'm getting a lot of uh, feedback from our masses and uh, the things that we did with regard to our uh, uh, various videos that we put out uh, for Christmas. Uh, one that's going on right now, of course, is the 12 days of Christmas, is that we've had to be nimble uh, but also imaginative in how we can have outreach to people. And uh, that is that, I think, has had a, really a wonderful response. Um, and people are looking at a way to adjust uh, how we're going to stay together. I think that the, the greatest suffering is where people feel as though uh, they've been forgotten or overlooked or that they're alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's so very important in this time and something I'm dedicated to do is to keep reaching out to, to people, uh, look for multiple ways. And I know our pastors are doing a great job with that, too. Um, we, we have to see, even though we are physically apart, uh, we, are, we still are together. I don't like the term socially distanced, because I think it's only a matter of being physically distanced. Socially, we're together. And socially right. connected. And, and, and we, we have to look for ways in which we are going to uh, 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 realize that this is going to pass. We're going to come to a moment when we'll get together. But we need to, we need to look for ways in which we're going to... Um, uh, connect with one another and stay in connection with one another. Now, we do attend the Mass 930 on Channel 7. And, um, Cardinal, it seems like you're getting much more 
comfortable with us. I mean, I, I it said to you, it feels like your homilies are directed right to us, right to me personally. And the one for, um, I think it was Holy Family, yeah, when your mom uh, gave that $5 to the gentleman. You want to tell that story a little bit. And then um, do you feel that? Do you feel like it's not a camera anymore, but you are talking to all of us around the archdiocese? Well, it is. Uh, it took a while for me to kind of get beyond the fact that there wasn't a congregation there mm-hmm. and that I was mm-hmm. speaking to people through the means of a camera. And um, But on the other hand, I would say that I approach uh, – uh, the Sunday Masses that we're having, or any time that I'm presiding at a liturgy, uh, as a pastoral role of uh, accompanying people, helping them, walking with them. I think that's that's important. Uh, the story that I told um, goes back to my childhood, one of the earliest memories that I have. Uh, it was a Saturday evening, um, and there was a knock on the door. It was this time of year, uh, and a man was taking up a collection for uh, a family that had lost their father to a heart attack. He was in his mid-40s. They had six children like our own. Uh, my mother was immediate in her response. She went and got her purse, uh, took out $5, and gave it to the man. And then as he walked away, uh, she said to us, well, that's the last of the money until your father gets paid uh, on, on Monday. Mm. That always uh, struck me uh, as uh, a real... Uh, not only act of faith in God that God would provide, but a sense of uh, solidarity with people who were suffering, uh, that it was uh, an opportunity for uh, all of us to reflect on the, the fact that uh, uh, there's something that binds us together when we're willing to share with the sufferings of other people. Um, and uh, that, that, I think, is, is so very important uh, uh, in, 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 as we consider what the human family is about, huh? And uh, what, exactly. what, what, we, what we should be considering in this time in which a lot of people are suffering. Uh, we're all in this together. Um, uh, it's the same thing, too. You know, uh, Dr. Fauci said something very interesting recently. He, he, you know, as people were saying, uh, you know, they don't want to, uh, they don't want either get vac- vaccinated, they don't care to, to um, be uh, 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 responsible for uh, the sufferings of other people and in solidarity with them. He said, you know, I really, I really can't, um, as he said, uh, I really don't know how to explain that you should care for other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's a point at which you, we say that. Uh, uh, th- th- this, is, this is really what we're called to do because, as I said, that's precisely where Jesus is. And your mother giving that $5 to that uh, individual, this was back in the 1950s, that was big money. Yes. To give $5. Sure. My, dad, my dad probably made $3,000 a year. Wow. He wow. was a mail carrier. Income. Now, speaking of Dr. Fauci, I know just last week uh, you made the news, Cardinal Blaze, you got the vaccination shot. And what was it like, and have you had any side effects? Well, I'd say, first of all, uh, the medical community came to me and said that they were afraid that people uh, in, uh, uh, in uh, minorities, uh, the African-Americans and, and Latinos, were uh, afraid of taking it. They wanted to do a campaign to build confidence. And would I help doing that? I said, yes, but let's make sure that we also, if I'm going to get vaccinated to do that, that we have uh, a representative from the African-American community. doesn't have to be a Catholic leader. but uh, And so we had Reverend Nelson come in. Uh, he's uh, head of a major church, African-American church, and then also Father Zeke Sanchez, who is the rector of the shrine. 
so that we would get word out to the uh, Latino and the African-American community that this is a safe vaccine. I had no uh, after effects at all. And it was uh, it was uh, pretty seamless. I uh, I got my first dose and there's a second booster that I'll take later. And I encourage people to do it, not only for their own safety, but for the common good. We have a responsibility for the common good. Now, Cardinal, we're going to have to come to a close in a minute or two. I, could you express to the faithful in Chicago your wishes for 2021? Well, my, my best wishes are, uh, and the Holy Father set this uh, up for us uh, yesterday with the Angelus on Sunday, uh, he said uh, that uh, 2021 is going to have to be the year of the family, starting with the celebration on March 19th, which is the fifth anniversary of his uh, pastoral letter on the uh, on the family, Amoris Laetitia. So my hope would be that uh, not only all of our families would prosper, but the human family would draw closer together. Uh, we have to have a different way in which we relate to each other in this country, uh, in our city, but also in the world. Uh, hopefully this will be an opportunity for us to give real consideration to that and to reboot uh, our understanding of how we really are related to one another. Uh, the Native American people uh, in South Dakota taught me a wonderful phrase, medakuasin, which means we are all relatives. They always use that phrase whenever they conclude a, a general meeting of each other. Uh, they reminded each other as we they would go home to their own places uh, that we still are connected, that we are all family. And hopefully that's uh, something that we can instill in the lives of people through the church, uh, but also uh, have an impact in society. Our thanks to Cardinal Supich for taking the time to join our host for that conversation. Our next segment is a discussion about the upcoming annual week for prayer for Christian unity. Here's a highlight. happy to have special guest Dan Olson, the Director of Ecumenical Interreligious Affairs for the Archdiocese of Chicago, and Reverend Courtney Reed of the Episcopal Diocese of Chicago. And we're going to speak with our guest this morning about the Movement for Christian Unity or Ecumenism and the upcoming week of prayer for Christian Unity from January 18th to the 25th. Dan, Reverend Courtney, welcome to Catholic Chicago. Oh, Mark, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us on. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Yes. Thank uh, you. It is wonderful to be here, and I am the parent of twin teenagers. So oh. I loved your story. Oh, thank you. You'll probably have to talk to our daughter-in-law on how to deal with twin teenagers somewhere down the road. <laughs> Happy to do that. And they have four daughters, so they have two, one daughter on either side of the twins, so it's okay. quite, a, quite a home. Well, I have an older daughter, so we have three teenagers. So it's, oh, God bless I'm happy you. to talk down the road. That's a different conversation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what I'd like to do, before we get into the the week of prayer, uh, maybe Dan and Reverend Courtney, just give us a little bit of your story. How did you come 
to be in this spot uh, in your church, in our churches. Uh, Dan, and then maybe Reverend Courtney. Sure, okay. I can start. Um, for me, it was something um, after college, I worked in a parish. And when I was working as a pastoral associate in that parish, I was invited to be a part of the local ecumenical council. Um, as part of that work, I came to know um, Christians of various traditions in the town I was working. And beyond that, I began to meet couples in the parish, one who is Catholic and one who might be uh, Episcopalian, one is Baptist, one is uh, Lutheran. So I, as I began to meet these couples and work in that local ecumenical council, I really developed a, a passion, a hunger for Christian unity. I took that with me to my graduate studies at Loyola, where I did a, a PhD in theology, and I really studied more the theological aspects of these families, um, uh, interchurch families, as they've come to be known. And that really led me to the ecumenical office and, and some of my work there. It, it, there's more detail to that story, but um, that's essentially what brought me there, is my meeting local people in that parish I first worked at. So your ministry is rooted in ecumenism. Yes, very yes. much so. It's where my passion lies. It's um, what drives a lot of my uh, work for the Archdiocese. Wonderful, wonderful. Reverend Courtney. Thank you. So I grew up Roman Catholic um, right after I was six years old as Vatican II was rolling out in my diocese of Richmond, Virginia in the late 60s. And Throughout my childhood, there was a real sense of, of ecumenical cooperation. There was an Episcopal church right next door to my Catholic church that um, we were partnered with in many ways. And when I went to college, I was very involved in our Catholic Student Association, which was in a covenant relationship with the Canterbury, the Episcopal campus ministry. We shared prayer together. We shared ministry together. We shared outreach and it was during a real spirit of great hope around unity between the Anglican Communion and Roman Catholics. It was in the, the early 1980s. And also, I grew up in an interchurch household. My father was Presbyterian. My mother was, was Roman Catholic. Um, and their best friends were a Baptist and, and Catholic couple. So this is something I've always been drawn to. And I became Episcopalian in my late 20s in a desire to more further live out the vocation to which I believe God um, was calling me to. And although recently ordained, it took me a while to, to get there, um, remaining involved in ecumenical activities, um, my great hope for the future of the Church and our need to be um, in continual dialogue and prayer and finding those ways that we can work together uh, has really driven my ministry. And much of what happens in one of the places that I oversee in our diocese, our Nicholas Center Retreat Center, has been the coming together of Episcopal groups and other denominations throughout the Christian community, um, Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, for example, um, who have come together for these conversations. So I remain really hopeful and really excited about these opportunities for uh, Christian dialogue. That's wonderful. Reverend Courtney, do you have an assignment here in Chicago? It says Episcopal Diocese, but it doesn't say, are you a I am. associate, so, a pastor? Um, I am 
um, I work on the bishop's staff. So like Dan, I serve on um, the diocesan staff. I am the director of operations and our Nicholas Center. So oversee a function in many ways like a chief administrative officer. And I serve as a priest associate at All Saints Episcopal Church in the Ravenswood neighborhood in Chicago. Is that on Wilson? It is. Oh, because we were at, we were at a, a wedding service there a while ago. What oh, a wonderfully you. hospitable place. We felt Thank very wel- very welcome. Now, as we look at the week of prayer for Christian unity, Dan, uh, what should Christians know about this week, and maybe how can either people prepare or participate in the week? Yeah, I should mention the the week itself began as a day of prayer for Christian unity in the early 20th century. Uh, 1907 is what uh, most folks originally dated to. It eventually became an octave, at, you know, in the, in the Christian tradition, a very important um, celebration is something that would last for eight days, such as Christmas or Easter. Um, so it became deemed important enough to give it an entire eight-day um, length of time by which we would offer prayers for unity, uh, maybe do some particular acts that week together to exhibit our unity for one another. But it's it's a time to set aside eight days in the midst of our busy year <laughs> to pray specifically for Christian unity, something that Christ willed for his followers to be united as one, and something that we hold with us today um, it, for the sake of the gospel, that it spread could be more easily done, it could be more recognized um, by, by others if, in our evangelical efforts. So these eight days are a particular time in, in the year to, to offer prayer to God, um, join together with one another for that sake of unity. Um, now this year, um, <laughs> as you well know, is unlike any other, although I say that knowing that we just entered a new year of 2021, but during this time of COVID, it, we can't gather in the ways we had often done. Normally, there would be various prayer services throughout the uh, Chicagoland area, organized by local ecumenical councils or groups or sister and brother parishes. Um, right now, we're trying to move things online. There are a couple of things that have been set up with the Focolare community, uh, among others. And what the easiest thing to do is we'll be posting those on our website at the Archdiocese. Um, do, you want to give, do you want to give that website, and then we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back and talk more about what's, what the week will look like. But what's the website that people e- can connect with? You can find it at eia.artchicago.org. Again, please? eia.artchicago.org. Reverend Courtney, you are going to have a new bishop, a bishop-elect, Reverend Canon Paula Clark. Tell us about yes. your new bishop, and what are you looking forward to as she begins her ministry here in April? Absolutely. We are thrilled that on December 12th, in a virtual electing convention, <laughs> given these times, um, we elected Paula Clark as the 13th Bishop of Chicago. She's coming to us from Washington, D.C., with a rich history, um, both in church work as a, as a priest, a rector in diocesan work, but also someone who's been deeply engaged in the life of a community in a city 
uh, through serving in local government in the city of Washington, D.C., where she worked in human resources. We are, she is the first um, black person, first woman elected to Bishop Diocesan in Chicago. And so for us, this was a landmark and truly exciting event. And how, I know from a oh go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. And how do you know her take on ecumenism and how that will be part of her leadership style here? I don't specifically know her her take on ecumenism, but I do know she is deeply committed to building relationships, not only throughout our diocese but with other partners as well. We had a conversation when she was in town checking out Chicago before she moves on sometime in the next month about just the people she's eager to get to know and to talk to. And that certainly includes the ecumenical and interfaith community, not only in Chicago, but throughout our diocese, which encompasses 22 counties in northern and central Illinois. So I'm sure she'll come and have a conversation with Cardinal Supich, too, about Absolutely. ecumenism. And Cardinal Bernadine and Bishop Montgomery in the mid-'80s, they they had a, a, a commitment, uh, a covenant, right. um, uh, encouraging Catholics and Episcopalians in Chicago to, to live together in faith, love, hope. Um, mm-hmm. do, Dan and, and Reverend Courtney, either one of you at this point, how does that— fit into a foundation for what you're doing right now today in terms of promoting um, our upcoming Prayer for Christian Unity? Well, I might just say that Cardinal Bernadine and Bishop Montgomery didn't really have it. They signed on behalf of the two dioceses. So yeah. really it's ours. It's all of ours. That's a good yeah. clarification. Very um, it, good. It, it's something that we, we share, and I frankly don't think most Catholics and Episcopalians of our two dioceses even know about it. Mm-hmm. So one of the um, jobs, I think, for our office in partnership with the Episcopal Diocese is to make this better known in the coming days. And maybe um, with Bishop-elect Paul Clark coming, we can do more. This could be an opportunity to resuscitate some of those um, important initiatives that we said we would do together, whether it's social outreach or witnessing the gospel together, praying together supporting our different ministries together, that maybe this is an opportunity to um, look look back at that agreement, that, that covenant that we signed, uh, our, our Bernadine, Colonel Bernadine and Bishop Montgomery signed on our behalf, that remains valid and important for our, our future together. That's a, and, you know, this show is called Catholic Chicago, but the Chicago Catholic, our newspaper for the Archdiocese, should have that on the front cover. The week of this, mm-hmm. uh, the week of this prayer for unity, um, yeah. because it will remind folks that we are bound together in faith. Reverend Courtney, what about you? Uh, how, oh, how does... I so agree. This was such an important document, and it was signed when sort of that time when I was in college, where there was such spirit and hope. And something I said to Dan when we were first talking on the phone a week or so ago was: it seems that especially now when, as a nation, we focus so much on how we're divided, that as people of faith, it is vitally important to me for the soul of our nation to come together in the places where we share values, where we share faith commitments, um, 
to work for justice, to work for peace, to share a message of hope and love. And if the churches can't do it, then who's going to? And probably we are doing it, and we don't talk about it or look at Catholic. That's it. Look yeah. at look at the work of Catholic charities. Over a million people serviced mm-hmm. uh, in this area, and nobody asks what faith you are. We just right. blend those faiths. The Episcopalian yeah. uh, Church is well known in the Chicago area for social justice, peace building mm-hmm. work. Um, maybe what are some of the initiatives that? you can highlight for our audience, Reverend Courtney, that, that could, you know, or that has or could or would bring us together? Right. I was thinking about those this morning, and I think some of the really important ones where Bishop Lee, our newly retired bishop, took leadership and looking forward to where where Bishop-elect Clark will lead us is in several areas um, where I think we can find common ground. Uh, the work around um, the scourge of gun violence in our city and around our our state. And I know that Cardinal Supich and Bishop Lee have been in events together around gun violence. Um, The work of anti-racism, again, places where we know that the gospel is calling us um, to overcome that which divides us is so critical. Um, the work around immigration reform, yes. again, something I know that um, both the Archdiocese and Catholics overall and Episcopalians are really committed to. And so I do believe there's so much place where we can highlight the work that is already happening that we do together. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all our radio programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Please subscribe today. Our next segment comes from The Voice of Charity. This week, co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy spoke with representatives of Gibson's Steakhouse about one of their New Year's Eve traditions. Let's listen in. year about the collaborations and connections and partnerships that make Catholic Charities what it is. And and our guest today is here to discuss one of those really exciting partnerships. Um, and, you know, we, we're lucky in Chicago that we have Gibson's, a world-renowned steakhouse restaurants, and really a phenomenal example of compassion and action that this organization represents. So here today we have Kevin Arnold, who's the Director of Training and Development for Gibson's Restaurant Group, which has three locations. I learned something new. I didn't realize there were three locations, downtown Chicago, Oak Brook, and Rosemont. And for the past 13 years, Gibson's has been opening its doors to celebrate the new year with our Catholic Charities clients. And it's such a wonderful, festive meal. It's free of charge. Our clients get dressed up and excited to come. Um, And Kevin has really been vital to the success each year. Before COVID... um, BC, I guess we should say. The meal was physically served at Gibson's. Last year it was in Oak Brook, and it really is, like I said, a lovely afternoon. Um, Guests enjoy a really great, great meal, as you would expect at Gibson's. And this year, uh, 
They've been so creative, and they're going to continue providing this meal to hundreds of Catholic Charities seniors by delivering the meals to their homes. And we've talked a lot about the sort of the implications of loneliness and isolation and what a lovely thing for our seniors to open their door to this just exciting meal. Absolutely. I mean, fine dining at its best brought (laughs) to your home. Um, Kevin, I promise we're going to get to you, but we got to talk a little bit about Gibson's and about Steve and Peg Lombardo. Gibson's opened in 1989 and was the first classic American steakhouse to be awarded its own USDA certification program. It has won countless culinary awards for its menu and its service. And I think you're going to understand that a little more as we we go through our show today. Making it a go-to favorite for natives and visitors alike. Um, Gibson Steakhouses are part of the Gibson's Restaurant Group, and that includes nine culinary concepts at 14 locations in four states. Now, Gibson's owners, Steve and Peg Lombardo, have been long, long time champions of Catholic charities and have given of themselves in countless ways, committees, board of directors, board of advisors, <clears throat> pardon me, and um, helping in leadership of our St. Nicholas Ball, which is one of our largest fundraisers that Catholic Charities has every year. So we are so grateful for their steadfast support and dedication to neighbors and service. And we're delighted to thank them along with Kevin and hear more about this event. Absolutely. So, so Kevin, we're going to say, finally say welcome to you and let you speak. But might you be able to share with us a little bit of like, how did this idea come about 13 years ago? Well, uh, great to be on, by the way. Thank you for having me. Um, the uh, You know, it's, it's interesting. You're talking about uh, Peggy and Steve and, and all they've done for Catholic Charities and, and the community at large. And something that we've always really, really been uh, a part of is, is trying to not just be a restaurant in our community, but be part of the community that we're in. So we're very, very, um, you know, you know, we try to help out as much as possible. And they are just the, the leaders of it all. But um, it, it was kind of an interesting thing because we, uh, for many, many years, when we first opened up, um, one of the things that uh, the owners, Steve and Hugo, wanted to do were uh, make sure that everybody had the holidays off. And, you know, we very high-volume business. We're very, you know, we're just crazy if you've ever been to a Gibson's before. So um, they wanted to give a kind of a thank you every year to their staff by giving them Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving, New Year's Day off, and, and Easter. And they, um, they kind of over the, some of the restaurants don't do that anymore, but most a lot of them do. And the reason that we decided to, to you know, when this came about was that we had these restaurants that were sitting empty these days, and we knew there were a lot of people out there that could use a great meal that couldn't afford to come to a Gibson's. Um, so we wanted to try to start this tradition of getting people to come, you know, bringing people in and having them have this great meal that they wouldn't normally have, um, and be generous in that respect and use those restaurants that we're not using. So. We uh, start to talk, um, you know, who are we going to work with, what are we going to work with, and it kind of came naturally because, you know, the relationship between the Lombardos and Catholic Charities was so uh, great already that it just was kind of a no-brainer. We said, you know, we should work with Catholic Charities and, and see what we can do. And it started off at, as a uh, 100 people, I think we brought in the first time at the Gibson's location downtown. We used a buffet style. It worked pretty well, but as the years evolved, as went by, we, the, the program evolved. And uh, we added more people. So I think the second year we did 200 people, uh, 300 uh, the next year. And then we served, uh, uh, we got to 400. And that's kind of where we've been for the last uh, few years, um, just trying to you know, get as many people as we can into, that, into the small spaces that we have and try to get as many people to have the experience that they want. 
That's I really that's incredible. I actually didn't understand that the that you all kind of made those days special for your staff. I love that so much that you were giving folks who had just worked so hard throughout the holiday season, the lead up, um, some time to then go enjoy that with their families, which then allowed all of you to open up the doors to our families. I love that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, that's just really. And it's like, very unusual for the restaurant business because, uh, you know, if you work in the restaurant business, you know, you work holidays. And, you yeah. Know, but we that was something that Stephen Hugo said from the very beginning and that I thought was very unique. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break here. And um, okay, we're not. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're I out of practice. I messed that up. We have one week off, and then I just <laughs> I'm gonna get fired here. Um, so great, we can keep talking. Can you share with us over the years? Employees have volunteered to come in, so you have that day off, but then you still have employees who show up. Who? Oh yeah. Who comes and why? You know, it, it kind of turns out to be the same people every year. I think there's certain people that just really have that, and then they want to they want to give back, um, and they come because they they are you know I think they're our our sense of our our, our values our, our core values are hospitality, quality, value, and family, and those are family, ours too. Yes. Oh, really? Well, that's perfect. It <laughs> <laughs> aligns perfectly. Yeah. So uh, the family part, I think, is what really gets us. You know, we really. Feel that we're part of a family. We take care of our employees. They take care of us, and we take they are part of the community too. So a lot of them just really feel that this is something that they they need to do because it is a part of who we are as a, as a mission, but also as a part of who who they are. They wouldn't be attracted to our to work for our company if they didn't believe in those same things. So um, I, you know, a lot of employees come in, and but what's interesting to me, yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's great that the employees do it on a day off, but um, the locals, the people that are our customers. Um, that volunteer. We have uh, quite a few every year that volunteer. In fact, this weekend when we have a lot of um, the drivers are going to be actually our local customers that uh, that heard about it and they got they got back to me faster than most of my employees. Did. So, oh. uh, you know, I mean, and that, how I think, extraordinary! Is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't really see that kind of um, that, and they do it because they're they do it for Gibsons. You know, they do it for Catholic charities. Um, they because they're they're loyal to us as well as we are loyal to them. Um. Since you touched on it, what tell us a little bit more about those logistics. So we're going to, I think, is it eight buildings? and uh, Six this year. Six, six buildings. Kevin's like, Bridget, do not add two more buildings to this. <laughs> yeah. We are prepared. And you've got yeah. volunteers who are going to be taking hot meals on. It's this Saturday and Sunday. Is that right? Uh, yeah, this Saturday and Sunday. And actually what we're going to do, um, because, you know, there's with COVID, we want to try to be as uh, – you know, conscientious of the health of the, yeah. of our of our people and you know the, the Gibsons volunteers as well as Catholic charities uh, participants. So we are going to actually we're going to make all the meals and they're going to be uh, brought cold to the um, to the residences and then the residents have the microwaves in their in their rooms so they can heat it up themselves. So that way there's very minimal touching, there's very minimal, minimal handling. They just they go, and it's hot. They can you know they, they can make sure it's hot when it gets there. We'll have instructions on how to heat everything up. So it's really easy for them to do, and uh, you know it's just easy for easier for uh, them as far as, as uh, the reheating is concerned, but also just just safer in general to try to have as little contact as possible. Right, and it's also kind of it's also adding dignity to them too. I know we sometimes have meals delivered from other 
spaces and other events and you've got to eat it right away because it's hot right and mm -hmm. so that's I love that you're you're actually giving them the opportunity to to provide to decide when they want to eat I, I think yeah that's amazing. and we get so much food too that you know I mean you, you want to try to eat all at once <laughs> <laughs> you, oh you know, I didn't realize the, that yeah, I was the supposed restaurants, to... like when we have the events they take they take stuff home afterwards oh. they always leftovers you know <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. This is known for big portions. Right, I was going to say. Make it smaller. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And I'm sure, I'm positive our folks do as well. Well, tell yeah. us, I mean, it's early in the morning, relatively mm -hmm. speaking, but tell us what the, what's on the menu. So we have our, you know, we have a, an awesome um, uh, rotisserie chicken that we do, so we're going to do a little bit of that for them. Uh, we have, and, you know, meatloaf, so a lot of people like that, that's kind of uh, very basic, but uh, our meatloaf is fantastic. So we have some meatloaf, we have the chicken, we'll have mashed potatoes, we'll have a nice vegetable medley for them. Uh, we also start off the meal with a uh, couple of shrimp cocktail, and uh, then they have a house salad that they'll have. We'll have, you know, have some rolls for them, and then we'll have the uh, brownies and cookies for dessert. And then a you know, bottle of water, things like that in there for, for them. And then we'll also be, um, you know, uh, not this weekend, but um, next couple of weeks, delivering different uh, you know, um, toiletries, accessories, and things like that that get donated by some of our uh, of our people that are in the wholesale business. They donate every year. Uh, Leon Kroll and Wells Lamont um, both uh, they donate gloves, hats, and other little things that they can that they, that we can give to the uh, the elderly as well as the children in the different programs throughout the cafeteria network too. I mean, anyone having the post-holiday blues is going to be just brought back to life by this. It's so, so extraordinary and generous. Um, Kevin, we have just uh, over a minute before we have to take a break, but can you start us off on, tell us a little bit about how you've been able to manage during the pandemic. I'm so struck by the generosity of your doing this in this year when restaurants have been so badly hit and so badly affected by this um, virus? You know, it's it's been a rough year, obviously. We are down in revenue, but um, it is, you know, we, we've been actually kind of lucky compared to a lot of the restaurant groups that we've seen, and, um, you know, we've, we, we know that, you know, and we want to make sure that we continue to give back because we feel that that's part of the reason that we why, why we are successful is because when we, you know, when all this hit, our locals didn't want to stop coming. You know, they want to keep coming here. And the reason that they would come is because of the way we take care of them. And we don't want to, we wanted to continue that all in all facets that we do. And so that included our charitable um, networkings. So, um, when, you know, for us, it is, um, you know, the, I know it does, there is costs associated with it, but one of the great things for us is that we have a lot of vendors this year that wanted to pitch in too. Because they want to make sure that they, that that this they've been pitching in for years, and they want to make sure that this goes just as well as the other years that we've had. So we've had a lot of support from people around us. That um, and, and the reason that we have that support once again is because we take care of our vendors as well, um, and make sure that they're that we're always working with them and, and giving them the best um, business that they can get. So they are happy to help us whenever we need help too. So that's how it's, we've been able to really make it happen this year. But even if we didn't have the support, we'd still do it because we believe that this is something that's very important for us as a, as a group and as a family and as a, um, as a, a network of uh, Gibson's employees and locals. For more information about Catholic Charities, how they assist people in need, and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Our final highlight today comes from the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity. They discussed their busy January schedule. Here's the highlight.
Good morning, Chicago. You are listening to the Fully Alive radio program, which is the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago. I'm your host this morning, Dawn Fitzpatrick. And on the phone, properly socially distancing from home in Indiana, is Ray Pingoy. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Dawn. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, 2021. <laughs> Let's go. I know. My gosh, what what a crazy time we've been through. I don't know about you, but I'm happy that 2020 is behind us. Right, that's right. Although I, I sometimes feel bad for 2020. It didn't do anything. You know, it's just a year. But you know, um, yeah, it's true. It got, a lot of things happened in 2020. But I'm glad we're in 2021. Here we go. Right. Poor 2020 got the you know bum rap. Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it this morning because we have some really exciting guests um, to talk to. And actually joining us um, from up in Mundelein this morning is uh, the, you know, someone who is a director of lay formation at at the seminary um, at the University of St. Mary of the Lake and also former employee of Planned Parenthood. So she has a really good story and she is going to be um, speaking at our March for Life Chicago rally up in Mundelein on the 17th of January. So let us all welcome Linda Corey. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Um, so we'll we'll just jump right into it. I know you've got a, a busy day ahead of you as always, um, and we appreciate you joining us. Um, so th- first of all, I'd just like to tell everybody that, you know, the March for Life Chicago, which we talk about every year, is a little bit different this year. Um, this year, the March for Life Chicago is hitting the road. And, you know, it already started. So on January 2nd, um, it you know, it, it, it started its first uh, trip to another location in the Midwest. And we actually have seven rallies around the Midwest, including one in Omaha, one up in Madison, several in Illinois and Indiana. So the, the rally that we're talking about is the one that the Archdiocese is sponsoring, and that is at Carmel High School on the 17th of January at 1 o'clock. Um, Cardinal Supich will be there along with several other speakers, and Linda Curry is one of our speakers. So, Linda, why, why did you decide you wanted to talk at this rally? Well, I think it's really important for all of us to get together mm-hmm. in solidarity fight for life because mm-hmm. it certainly isn't a battle that that can be done alone it takes um it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of support sure and i want to be there just to encourage encourage people mm-hmm. along the way because sure. it seems like you know that the pro-life movement it just it takes such an incredible amount of work and amount of community just to keep the stamina going. And part of the reason why I want to be there is because I do believe, as somebody who used to work for Planned Parenthood and used to be an an advocate of um, a pro-choice advocate, Mm -hmm. I realized how much I needed the pro-life movement to be in order and to keep going because it's because of pro-life people and because of their prayers that I ultimately changed changed my mind. It, it couldn't have happened if there weren't people that were standing up for the right thing. And for a while, me being angry with them and confused by them, sure. but at the same time, them continuing to show up and continuing to fight for what is right. So I'm indebted to them and indebted to the pro-life movement. And 
indebted to the, to the church mm-hmm. for holding on to their teaching on this. So, uh, so you have somebody that experienced a conversion um, of having worked at Planned Parenthood, and you felt very strongly um, that a woman that women have a right to choose when it comes to abortion. And now you're actually an advocate for life. So, so tell us a little bit about how that happened. Well, it isn't an easy transition. I often talk about the fact that in a lot of ways it's, it's an easy decision to make in the sense that having an abortion is taking a life. And, and mm-hmm. even when I was pro-choice, I didn't necessarily dispute that fact. Mm-hmm. The hard part was all that came with it, because certainly it's a cut-and-dry issue morally, but it's certainly not a cut-and-dry issue in terms of how it affects the life of people who do have unwanted pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So the stance of being pro-life is correct, but it comes with a lot of other decisions that you have to deal with. Um, So my conversion ultimately came from the fact that I had to recognize that the taking of an innocent life was wrong, Mm -hmm. that there are nuances around it and difficulties around taking that life that need to be addressed but do not change the standard of the life being taken. Mm -hmm. And once I came to that point, I really needed to have a community to surround me, to strengthen me in that, because in becoming pro-life, I had to leave an academic uh, lifestyle that was not necessarily open to the the ethic of life in that way, mm-hmm. and it was it was a long transition. But I think that the thing that was the most important was the consistent uh, teaching of the church on this that I could lean upon until I was able to develop the the spine to be able to stand up there and and fight for life. Mm-hmm. We know, and it's interesting, I've heard you speak a number of times, and one of the things that I think is very unique about what the witness you give is that you talk with compassion about those who are pro-choice and those who work at Planned Parenthood and other abortion facilities, um, understanding and, and pointing out that typically they don't do this to be evil. They do this because they think they're doing good. And and so why don't you talk about that for a second? Yeah, I think that that's important because I think it—, it it, it sometimes astounds me um, that when I do pro-life talks that, that people might not be familiar with this fact. But, I mean, I was so exposed to it and so a part of it, it seems almost self-evident. So I'm very glad to talk about it. I mean, I will say that unequivocally I believe that most people that are working at Planned Parenthood are doing it out of a sense of compassion, out of a sense of really helping people, out of the, you know, for sure, even though I regret this and I'm ashamed of it and I don't think it was right at the time I believed Abortion was the best option in Mm -hmm. most cases, because having a child when you're young or having a child when you're in a bad situation or when it's it's not a wanted child is a very, very huge burden to take on. Sure. And I, I recognize that. So I really thought that I was helping things. And I would say that that's most people. I mean, sure, there's bad people at Planned Parenthood. There's bad people in every institution. That's, that's not the point. The point is to, to demonize them, is to mischaracterize them. And therefore, if you don't know the people that you are um, 
trying to counteract, if you don't know who they are, you're, you're fighting the wrong enemy. So to demonize them, I mean, it's it's like fighting a cartoon character that doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. I think the reality is they are coming mostly from a place of compassion, misguided compassion, but sure. compassion nonetheless. So, you know, it's one of the things that we often talk about in the Respect Life office and in our chastity education initiative is that it's it's important that we change minds and hearts. So it's not it's not that we we want to tell people how wrong they are and how they're constantly going down the wrong path, although that is a part of it. Um, we need to understand where they're coming from and and have some understanding of where they're coming from and show them the love that it takes to understand the truth. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about. I think that there's that piece that's, of course, important. But at times, when, when I look back at, um, you know, who I was before, which is, you know, I'm the same person. Of course. There's not, I'm not an entirely different person. It's just some fundamental ideas have changed and my heart has changed. But mm-hmm. a lot of it's through ideas. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that most of it was probably through grace and prayer. Of course. In that I can't necessarily track the moment that I changed my life or that I had the courage to do so. I think that there's always a moment of grace. So I, what I'm the most thankful for with people that are pro-life is their prayers. And that that's actually something that even when I was at Planned Parenthood and I would go in and I'd see people quietly praying, mm-hmm. I was moved by them. They weren't trying to just change my 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 cognition, my yeah. ideas. Those are those are pretty hard to change. Yeah. But I believe that it's the prayer behind it. And it's just prayer. You don't get to see the results of it. Right. Like, we'll know. If we're lucky enough to be in heaven, I think we'll see a chart of all the way that our prayers affected situations, yes. right? And a lot of those are going to be directed towards somebody like me because I can't chart the moment that I change my mind. But I will. But undoubtedly, mm-hmm. it's because of the prayers of the faithful. What and aren't we called to help people to get to heaven? Isn't isn't that what we're called to do? Um, so we never want to give up on somebody, right? And I, don't give up on prayer. I right. mean, it's um. It's what our faith is, and it, it's really where all power comes from. Mm-hmm. So it, so what you're saying, you actually saw people praying at Planned Parenthood, um, and, that, and that affected you in some way, and you know that those prayers affected you. I didn't know at the time that mm-hmm. they affected me, but I, I would say that the mere fact that they were out there mm-hmm. putting some effort into things and doing something that, that took energy mm-hmm. and smiling at me, not necessarily assuming that I was an idiot or that I was bad or I was evil, but they were doing their thing. And I I respect that with people, Mm -hmm. no matter if they, you know, even if they thought differently than me, but there was something about that presence Mm -hmm. that um, impressed me, even if I disagreed with it. Well, and and that's such an important point that that we are always witnessing for truth and love um, and not, not being hard-hearted and not being mean to people. I mean, it just doesn't, it's, you're not going to win anybody over. Um, but, right. I mean, that never works. Right. I mean, it, it, you can just look at any kind of, you know, studies of human behavior and that's just, that's not how people, that's not how conversion works. I mean, it might feel good to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you might feel like you're doing something, but you're, you're ultimately not being effective. I mean, fine, you can be right, but if you're not effective, it's just, it's not enough to be right. You also need to be effective. So you need to be careful of, of your own, um, you know, looking at the log in your own eye, which is to make sure that you're not just enjoying and basking in your righteousness, and then it becomes self-righteousness. And that's not going to convert anybody. And as a matter of fact, it it might get you in some spiritual trouble too. 
Well, and that's a good point. So just deciding that you're right and you want to be right isn't going to isn't going to win any hearts or any yeah. You know, it's going to take those prayers and and know that it's all in God's time. Um, and sometimes it it may take somebody their whole life, but it's worth it. It's worth no, it. It's worth it. If it takes their whole life to convert, that's okay. So um, I I just love the fact that you mentioned Linda about solidarity and this uh, Mundelein you know drive-in rally this coming Jan- January the seventeenth. It really is a, a great way to witness, and this is a family event, right? This is I, I'm excited for it. I, I want to bring the whole van yes. filled, with, filled with our kids. Absolutely. So, and that's a good point, Ray. Um, we haven't really told everybody that what what the, uh, the 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 scope of this rally is, but it, you know, we can get as many as just about 500 cars, and everyone will be socially distanced. Most people, there'll be many people that will be able to see the stage from their car, and everyone will be able to hear the rally on their car radio. We will be mm-hmm. broadcasting over WSFI, which is a radio station up in Lake County. And we'll also have another FM receiver um, as well. So it's very exciting that people can come and stand up for life, bring it in a car and um, and listen to Linda speak along with some other speakers. Cardinal Supich will be there. The um, Archbishop of the Orthodox Church of America will be leading the prayer of Bishop Paul. You know, it's it's going. We're going to have Miss Melissa Villa Lobos, who is um, she she received um, graces through the intercession of of John Henry Newman. I mean, how exciting is that, right? Um, and among others. So I would highly encourage everybody to come up to the rally. You can register for the rally um, at marchforlifechicago.org. Register to lead a caravan or to bring your family or however you want to do it. Um, and then um, we'll be headed over to Planned Parenthood at the end to pray, as Linda is suggesting, and just be a positive witness um, and and to bring those prayers to the people that need it, and to to pray for the change of hearts and minds. So um, so I encourage you all to come hear Linda speak, hear others speak, and just just be a part of this. Stand up for life in this odd time that we're in. We'll we'll be socially distanced, and um, and it's just a great opportunity to do do something in this incredible movement. So um, so Linda, thank you for for being here today to give everybody a taste of what they'll hear on January 17th at one o'clock and, um, and it's time to go to break. So, so thanks again, Linda Curry. Um, we look forward to seeing you on January 17th at All Carmel right. High nice School. To talk to you both. Yep. You too. Thanks. I'm glad. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend mass online by visiting our website, artschicago.org. That's artschicago.org. Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Catholic Chicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polavision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.